Yes, my name is Robert McMillan, and you're all very welcome to the latest edition of Erchul and Hjoil, and his traditional music podcast in which we go behind the music and talk to trad A-listers about the people they are and the music they play. And for anyone who doesn't know, Andrehid is an arts centre based in Belfast which promotes the Irish language and traditional music throughout the city. Well, Liz Carroll is the first Irish-American musician to be nominated for a Grammy and the first Irish-American composer honoured with the Commodore T.G. Keher Award. She has toured as a solo artist and with the bands such as the Greenfields of America and Trian, as the duo Liz Carroll and John Doyle with the String Sisters and now as a duo with guitarist and pianist Jake Sharon. She will soon publish a new book of recent compositions, followed by the following the sold out success of collected original Irish tunes in, two, in 2010. You're very welcome to your Hooling Choi, Liz Carroll. Oh, well, thank you so much, Robert. Great to, great to be in touch with Ireland. <laughs> it's uh, brilliant. Okay, you're, you're a long way away, but uh, probably you, you still feel this part of Ireland because, of course, your parents uh, were from the Emerald Isle. Your father was from Brocka in County Offaly, and your mother, uh, Ellen Cahill, from Limerick. So I presume you were listening to music from a very early age, or probably when you were probably still in the womb, there was some uh, Irish music going on around you. There, there definitely was. Um, you know, my... Uh, parents met in Chicago, but I, my mom would always say that, uh, I mean, she really liked that my dad played the accordion because her own father had played the fiddle. So this was, this was comfort. So yeah, he, he played just an old, uh, three row honer accordion in the house. And yes, I'd say I would have heard that in the womb and, uh, and all the way along growing up. Yeah, but although you're famous for being a fiddler, you always had a sort of soft spot for the accordion as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, my, it's really my first instrument. Uh, so I started playing on the accordion. And I think it's, I, I, I just have a, a, an ongoing fondness. Well, maybe it's, it's even just sonically, it's, it's a happy place for me, maybe because of my dad and having heard it from a very young age. Um, we got to go and hear music uh, when I was young, and there were some really good accordion players coming through from Ireland at that time, including Joe Cooley, and a uh, really hearty player. And it was like a great look to him playing, and um, Kevin Keegan was here too. Um, yeah, and it's a very much, a, Chicago was, uh, growing up, always a very um, accordion town. Most of them almost in their body language, playing the accordion, wanting to be Joe Cooley. So, <laughs> so there was a lot of hardiness in every accordion player. They would, also, they would slam all the notes together before they'd start the tune, and it would always start really hardy. Um, so there's an awful lot to like about it, you know, and, I mean, all those... Um, uh, early albums I would have been listening to, you know, you'd have like maybe Sean McGuire, of course, from your mm. area up that way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but also, you know, those records that he did with uh, Joe Burke. And so, I mean, we just loved the accordion. 
Okay. Um, you went to sessions with your parents, including a place with the best name I have ever heard, Hannigan's House of Happiness. Ah, <laughs> well, you know what? It's actually Hanley's House of Happiness. Close. <laughs> Hannigan's would have been good too. Yeah. <laughs> So you were taken to a lot of sessions, were you? And did you were you taking part from an early age and playing with older musicians? Yeah. Well, I, I you know I started on like I say the accordion, and I was like doing that in the house. I started the fiddle when I was nine, and uh, I think uh, I think my maybe my folks thought I was going to be good at this, and. Um, so unlike the accordion, like they didn't join the Irish Musicians Association when I was playing the accordion. They joined when I was playing the fiddle. And yeah, from day one, you know, we arrived at a place that was on Ashland Avenue on the south side. It, upstairs was the Irish Musicians meeting. And, uh, and I, I remember that room. I remember everything about that little pub and then going upstairs. And I remember the faces and all the course that I was gonna know for years and years to come flute players, pipers, um, a great, great cast of characters, some from Chicago, many from Ireland. Um, and I sat with my fiddle, I'd say that very first time and just sat in the back mm -hmm. and attempted to try. <laughs> yeah. But absorbed everything that you were hearing around you? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I think um, I was lucky to have a good ear and uh, tunes made sense to me, uh, you know, fast, didn't matter. And I could come home and uh, time, you know, it, it can be that kind of thing where you'd even have enjoyed a tune and you could wake up in the morning and, you know, you kind of remembered like a, a bit of that tune. And then, of course, it was a weekly session. So, you know, these tunes would come around again. So it was very jolly. There was no... Um, there was no push. There was no, uh, there was no place to get to. My parents never pushed me. None of the musicians pushed me. It was just sit in when you want, run around and play when you want with mostly their kids and all. And, uh, and it was so, it was very self-driven. It was very, um, very enjoyable in that way. It's just one of those things that you find and you just feel like, this makes sense. And uh, so I was always very uh, driven to get all the tunes because I wanted to play with all of these people. And I, you know, and this was the way to really enjoy yourself is to get them down. Okay. But early on, you went to, is it classical? Is classical violin and piano that you studied? Were you interested in classical music or was, did you always have Irish traditional music at the back of your head? Well, you know, when I started the, the violin, I had no idea what classical music was. Mm -hmm. And in fairness, I don't think I ever did uh, when I was taking lessons in grade school. We owned no classical records. We, I didn't know if there was a classical radio station. Obviously, we're in Chicago, there was. Mm -hmm. But I didn't hear it. Uh, I, I can remember... Uh, uh, my uh, violin teacher at some point uh, suggesting that I get a Misha Elman album. And it's a great violinist. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like, whoa, but I never knew what I was headed for. Uh, so I don't, 
you know, it was really just learning the violin and and not so much knowing what any of that was. Now I kind of think with the Suzuki method and all and the emphasis on learning by ear and those nice simple tunes to begin with and a pack of people that played them with you, uh, it might have all made a lot more sense. But my teacher was a nun at school. I was in that room, just her and me. Uh, and the person with a good ear wasn't very good at reading those notes, you know, so there was plenty of me trying to game the system, you know, could you just play it for me once? But she didn't suggest, you know, um, because I guess, because I, I was a kid, there was, you know, you're learning an instrument. It wasn't so much you're learning classical music. And so it never was. And uh, yeah, maybe I got to about 16, 17 and just went, um, maybe 15, I, that I just didn't feel like I was going to stop playing because I didn't have lessons. I kind of felt suddenly that um, I will survive. I will continue to play without this crutch of somebody there. Because, yeah, it was clear that um, the Irish music made sense and this classical, yeah, I wasn't going there. Why go, why go to fourth position? Why second position? Um, but... She gave me a lot of tools to have like a, a strong right hand, I think, because, uh, you know, she said it often. <laughs> she was like, work it, move it, move that bow. And, uh, you know, I can almost still hear her now as I'm saying this to you. That was good. And she was one of those teachers that knew whether you worked or you didn't work. You know, so she'd call me on it. She 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 was one of those people. So it was really it was really learning the instrument, and learning about putting effort in, and not fake your way through it. <laughs> okay. okay. And okay, and nothing to do with the, the genre. Uh, you first came to Ireland when you were five years old, and I think oh, you're and again, work on me. Oh my god. And again, in '67 when you were ten, uh, yeah. what were the first impressions of a young uh, girl from Chicago when she arrived in the Emerald Isle? <laughs> what were your first impressions of Ireland? Well, I loved it. You know, the first place we went to was my mom's place. So it's, it's a farm and it's a working farm. There's cows and uh, fields. And yeah, when I think about back to that, um, I think I loved the silence of it. Um, I don't think I was paying a lot of attention to how much noise there was in Chicago, but I loved the silence. And there was no television, there was no, you know, uh, I have a brother, my brother Tom, and we loved, you know, just going into the cow house when the cows were not there. And just inventing games and just being very inventive, uh, of course, it was 62 or whatever when we went that time, too. So um, it was a quieter time. There wasn't so much noise. Um, funny enough, um, oh, and I also loved that we took a horse and trap to church. <laughs> and I loved that there were horses there, you know, and we get lifted onto a saddle. They were too big for me. I was freaked out. Uh, so I never went riding. And they were work workhorses anyway. Um, but it was lovely, and the accent was all around me. My mom, at that time, my grandfather and my grandmother were alive, and um, there were like 
four siblings of my parents, uh, of my mom, still in the house. You know, so it was great. It was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some people get the impression because you're from Chicago, you come to backward Ireland, that it would have been very, very boring and you wouldn't have liked it uh, at all. But they still had all this music going on in your head, which probably helped you c connect as well. Uh, it must have been a great thrill for you to have won the 75 All-Ireland Fiddle competition, only the second American to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's a it's a strange thing. Competitions. On the one hand, you you do work towards something, so that's that's kind of good for anybody. Um, competitions are scary. Why was I doing it? Because I'm just a wimp. Um, yeah, I had gone a couple of times before that senior competition. I just don't think I would have been going to Ireland unless there was this thing at the end of it. There's no way my parents would be paying for a flight to Ireland in 1973, 1974, and 1975. Yeah, you know, we got we got a lot of encouragement um, uh, for that first time going from um, accordion player Patty Gavin. This, uh, these are the Gavins from Balbriggan, and. Uh, and Patty had come out with the coldest tour, and uh, and then he came back, and he was, he might not have been playing at Hanley's House of Happiness. Now he, <laughs> I think that was already gone, and everybody had kind of streaked over to a pub called Hoban's, and he was playing there every weekend, and we would go myself, Jimmy Keen, and uh, you know he'd be tearing it up, just a great, wonderful player, and uh, and he became friends with all of us, and. Uh, and we used to get together at a lovely piano player, Nancy Harling's house and her friend, Mary Gardner, and we would go there and Patty would be there. He encouraged my folks and said, you know, she could go, she could, she could play in this. And at the time you didn't have to qualify or anything. So, you know, you just went. Uh, the next year you had to qualify. I think they decided, wait a minute, too many Yanks coming over here with no qualifications whatsoever. Um, it was a good experience though I uh, going for it I would never as I say have gotten to Ireland that many times if I wasn't playing my fiddle in that competition because there's no way I would have been just paying that much money to go and hang out in the streets but hanging out in the streets was what I wanted was what I loved that competition was so scary um the first time I was going, I remember, what am I doing going to Ireland to play in a competition when I don't even know if I compare to anybody in New York? I have no idea. I hadn't really met too many people outside of my circle of going around with uh, my dancing school. So these would have been local feshes, Detroit, Cleveland, and uh, the odd time, maybe Toronto, and, uh, and of course, Chicago, and uh, yeah, but um, it was it was a pretty it was a great experience. I remember many many nice things about it. I remember that um, the rest of the competitors that year were really sweet. Uh, I always remember Seamus Connolly, who had judged me in Chicago before I went over, and uh, you know he was great. He was just went walking down the street with me and was all delighted. And I was like, oh, great, you know, it's all. Uh, uh, yeah, it's amazing to know people like that. I think sometimes that uh, maybe 
winning that or or just being in the mix uh, got me to meet just like a great group of people. All these musicians, we had this yeah. in and loved it. Yeah, it's a great social thing, uh, playing music as well. So maybe practicing it as a solo, you need to be at home. You're practicing on your own, but when yeah. these competitions and the fashion and the quarter things and the slog uh, all come together. It's a hugely social thing. It's a good way of making friends uh, and, yeah. and, and so on. When you came back uh, to the States, to uh, Chicago, what was the scene like in Chicago when you were setting out and what's it like now? Um, oh, it was, um, you know, there's a possibility now to actually play music, Irish music, as some kind of a career. So, you know, you do see a lot more people playing sessions, uh, leading sessions that didn't used to be. Uh, everybody just knew where to go. Nobody was paid. Uh, everybody just went. Um, but people want to uh, make a little wedge <laughs> these days and, and have for a number of years. Let me see what else I could say would be, be different. I mean, there's meetings of the Irish musicians too. You know, these were, would take place, you know, the upstairs of a pub. I didn't see any drinking or anything going on there. Uh, we had Sunday sessions sometimes at uh, once a month at uh, Old St. Pat's Church downtown. You know, this was tea and soda bread. And uh, so there was a whole scene that was not going into a pub to play, uh, either to join a session or to lead a session. But somewhere along the way, and I don't know, I may have been part of it. Uh, I know that when I had uh, my, fir my first child, uh, Patrick, and then I had Allison, and, uh, and my husband looked at me one day and he says, don't you have somewhere you're supposed to be? Aren't you supposed to play somewhere? And of course, I wasn't playing anywhere. Um, and I said, could you handle this? You know, that's one and a half and six months. And he's like, of course I can. And uh, I did go into a pub on the north side called the Abbey Pub. And uh, they had been having sessions on Sundays. And that wasn't going to work. So I asked uh, Tom Looney, who owned the pub, guy from Clare, wonderful. And uh, I said, could I get a guitar player and have a session on a Wednesday night? And could you pay uh, pay me and another person seventy five bucks? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that would have been you know in ninety or eighty. Well, maybe nineteen ninety. Yeah. So it was just a little something to say. Maybe pay for some groceries, and uh, and then have a session that I could go to. And uh, yeah. Although I always heard that the music got better once I left. Because, of course, I'd leave 11 o'clock on the dot. And then the music got great. And I'm gone. <laughs> but uh, So from very early on, you wanted uh, a guitarist to accompany you rather than a, a, a piper or an accordionist or anything? I, you know, um, I, knew, I knew Jim Dewan at the time. I guess we had maybe played a little bit. Um, and he lives in Chicago and he's such a great crack. 
And uh, that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, I didn't think of a melody instrument. I, there's no reason why I didn't. There's, it's just, he was hilarious. And, uh, and we were going to have a good night. And, and yeah, you could count on good chords. I guess I do care about chords. And I, I probably, well, yeah. Maybe I, if I didn't have the guitar player, I would have asked the piano player. <laughs> so, just so it was a good session. Okay, was it okay? Were people bouncing off each other musically and creatively in Chicago? I mean, when you have the likes of uh, some of you mentioned before, you have Jimmy Keane, you have Marty Fahey, you have Johnny Harling, and some guy called Flatley, Michael Flatley, um, among the others uh, in Chicago. Was it a sort of a nurturing thing there? Was everyone looking after everyone else? We, we played a lot when we were younger. Um, you know, again, there were those meetings of, of the older musicians and, um, and we sat in. Um, but when we, when we could, uh, I think maybe I was the first one that was able to drive. And uh, so I'd be the person to go to somebody's house or grab maybe Jimmy Keene and we'd go down to Marty Faye's house. We didn't play a lot with Michael Flatley. Um, I, I did it. Happened, him. I, I, you know, <laughs> where is he? Um, I, I, I had the nice experience of uh, uh, Michael's dad. I absolutely loved the music and uh, absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. So they were, you know, they were into the dancing, but they were also into the music. And, uh, and I enjoyed Michael. I mean, we had gone on a tour in Ireland in 1971. So we're talking about me being, I'm turning 15, let's say, and Michael is like 13. And uh, we went with our dancing school and we had a scat of fun. It was great fun uh, going around Ireland. We probably did 10 or 11 concerts with our dancing school that year. And so when I came back, um, and we came back and let's say, yeah, maybe I'm getting the car keys finally 15 and 16. Um, uh, Michael's dad said, you know, why don't you guys, why don't you trade off? Michael would help you with your dancing and you could give him a few tunes. And so, uh, I would go over to, uh, their house and, uh, it's a funny, <laughs> I think Michael maybe watched me the first time I came over. And then I was like, that's good now. Then his mom would watch me. <laughs> and mostly it had to do with, uh, and mostly it had to do with attitude. It was kind of, it was an interesting lesson, much like, you know, I remember that, like I remember Sister Francine telling me to move my bow. They also went, this is an attitude thing. Move, move across the floor when you're dancing, not timidly in this spot. If, you, if you're supposed to go to the left here, Move it. So it was a lot about attitude. I don't know how many tunes I would have, uh, have taught Michael, because I don't think I, I I don't think that side of it so much happened. Maybe I recorded a few tunes that I liked and might say try this one, or try that one. But I did a nice little bit of hanging at their house for a period of time there. Yeah, should have kept that relationship going. <laughs> I could have worn leather pants. I could have done it. Oh, okay, what, what music were yeah sorry uh, what music were you playing then because you're now probably as famous as uh, as a composer 
as you are as uh, a fiddle player with over 200 tunes. But imagine, to your to your credit, does composing come easily to you? Well, I, I've always done it. So, you know, uh, that fiddle arrives, I'm nine. And I've probably already written little tunes on the accordion. Who knows where they are? We didn't have anything to record them or anything. So, but once I started on the fiddle, um, you know, they they went along in tandem. I've always loved doing it. I, I wrote a lot of little tunes um, between the, sorry, it's allergy season over here. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm not getting uh, emotional. Um, the, uh, yeah. I think I think I think as soon as I got the fiddle, I would I would probably say it would be halves. I half of the tunes I would write would be on the accordion still, and maybe half would be on the fiddle. And uh, I always loved doing it. Uh, it's it's surprising to me. I keep thinking there's no way you're going to be tapped out. In fact, I don't even push it that much. Uh, when uh, when Johnny McGreevy was alive here and well, and uh, I enjoyed Johnny so much. Johnny had this great thing where he would, like, I wouldn't ask too often. I would say, Johnny, play a new tune. Is there, is there a tune you have or whatever? And it wasn't his tune, but it was in his, in his wheelhouse. He had a tune from whoever um, that he hadn't played at a session because he wouldn't be forward. He wouldn't play something that people didn't know. Uh, so every once in a while, I'd say, Johnny, come on, play a new tune. And you know what? He always did. It was always a tune I had never heard before. I was like, when am I going to ask this question and he's not going to have a new tune? And it never happened. So much in the way that I, I find that surprising, I keep thinking I'll be tapped out and I wouldn't have a tune to my brain, that everything would sound like something else and I would abandon. But it hasn't happened. So just like this last weekend, I wrote a little three-part jig and it's you, you just kind of go, wow, I should be tapped out by now. <laughs> so, but they really went in tandem, learning the instruments, learning new tunes. Uh, the tunes we learned, I mean, we, I always loved new tunes, so I would be very drawn uh, to new tunes. Um, when uh, Patty Cronin came one time and spent a couple of months playing at that pub called Hoban's, and he at that time had learned a rake. I mean, there was no book of Reavy tunes, but he had a whole bunch of these. However he had them, he had an in. <laughs> and he started playing these Reavy tunes, Ed Reavy, and um, they were stunning. They were just great. We were learning all of them. So uh, I think um, I was lucky that Jimmy Keen and Marty Fahey that you mentioned, especially, um, really loved new tunes as well really followed this path of learn everything that we heard and challenge each other to write tunes. So I'm in the middle right now of like, uh, I've learned how to do Sibelius, uh, thanks to Kate Boyle from Cherish the Ladies. And uh, so I have it here and I'm, uh, I'm writing out Marty Fahey's tunes because he's thinking maybe I'll put them in a book. And you know, it's like a hundred tunes and they're great. And uh, so he never stopped doing it. Jimmy Keene is very quiet about his tunes. You have to really like tug at him to come on, play one of your tunes. But he has them. So we've all continued to do it and enjoyed this side of it. 
Yeah, some people may think that Irish traditional music might be very constrictive in as much as it has to be a jig or a reel or an air or, or something. But uh, can you, you seem to find a sort of a, an infinite variation within all those. And although you're an Irish musician, you know, there's a Scottish feel to some of the stuff that, mm-hmm. uh, that, you've, that you've written as well, and maybe even from more exotic uh, places. So do you wake up in the morning and think, I'm in the mood to write a hornpipe? or I'm in the mood for reading uh, Strathspe, or maybe I'm, in, I'm a bit down on it, I think I'd play a slow tune, a slow air. Yeah. I, I don't think I ever wake up and think of anything. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> slow in the morning, just saying. But I do, I, uh, um, you know, I'm sure you've talked to loads of folks that have talked about writing tunes, and um, but... It is interesting to just say to yourself, what if I make up? How about I just make up a jig? And to say that to yourself and to, and to see where that goes, just having that thought. But lots of tunes were made up just because, like when you're in Revy tunes, you're making up a, a, a Revy type of tune just because you're enjoying the the complicatedness of it and you're enjoying that it's the type of tune that you wouldn't even want to change the notes are just solidly in place and you can play it and play it and play it and you're never you're never looking for like oh god I got to change this I'm sick of it you know so it's not one of those types he's not one of those kinds of composers and then you know you just follow it along and then you get to all those Patty Fahey tunes and for me you know, I begin to go, well, what about this idea that it's C sharp one time and it's C the next time? Why not an F sharp and then an F, you know, because that seems to be what this guy is up to, you know. And if you're if you're looking at Charlie, you're like, well, why not happy? <laughs> you know, because his students are, to me, so happy. Um, but it is interesting that, like you were saying, I, I can, I love the Cape Breton music. If I'm going to listen to that, there's every chance I'm going to write a tune that's going to be maybe a bit more in that style. I actually um, really like old time and bluegrass music. And I have several tunes that I'd say are really in an old time pocket. And, uh, and even though I couldn't, my husband does this with me where he's just go, okay, who's playing? <laughs> it could be like Led Zeppelin. I didn't grow up knowing what any of it was. And he's just like, come on. But even though I don't play, or I wouldn't be able to identify, you know, who sang that song, I love all that stuff. And so I, I said uh, to a fellow one time at a, a workshop and he was he was just kind of sounding frustrated with me and he was just kind of going, well, what would you say is an influence on your play? And I said, well, you know, actually rock music, the heft of it, the dynamic chords and all that. I love that. And so I'd, I'd say I, I, I have been influenced a good bit by just listening to pop radio. And, uh, and also, remember I told you about my dancing experience, you know, so me moving across the floor doesn't come very natural. <laughs> and yet inside me, I'm like, 
I love what a dancer does. And I love the energy of that. I loved playing for Michael uh, when I got to do it. And I loved playing for championships in New York and places for their uh, feshes. When you have a good dancer. So even though my body won't do that inside, I think of myself as a, a good a good musician for dancers. I, I think of myself moving through a tune with the kind of energy that a dancer has. I think of moments as I'm being very tappy here. So the notes are going to go and then an elegant over here. And I feel like I feel like I do that when I compose, but I also think that I do it when I'm playing, that sometimes I've just got a dancer in my head and, uh, and I'm trying to lift them up. Yeah. Dance better. Yeah, there's a dancer called Colin Dunn who has danced the whole of Tommy Potts's The Liffey Banks. I want to see this. I know he's done it. I've met Colin. I knew he was doing it. So how is it? It's absolutely fabulous, but uh, that's a that's a digression. Uh, books, uh, your first book of tunes collected, original Irish tunes, was a sellout back in 2010, and you have a follow up uh, coming out. Just the thing you were in, you were talking about earlier uh, about reading music or learning by ear. Are are more people learning traditional music from the books, from uh, from uh, notation and so on, rather than learning it by ear? Oh, it's a good question. I know that I said to um, I said to Marie Nguini, I said, uh, "I'll send you a book," and she goes, "She'll say, well, it's fabulous." She says, "Of course, I don't read." And I was like, <laughs> "You guys put out a book yourselves." <laughs> and you read it. I think it's a, it can be a nice, it can be a nice mix. I, I'm totally uh, thinking about those people that don't, um, that don't read. And uh, I should probably, I should probably point at it a bit more. I saw that there was a nice project at the uh, Irish Music Archives where, you know, there's the tune, there's somebody's fingers playing the tune on the bow and uh, I think I hesitated with the idea of doing like a tape or a CD to go with that book so that people could just do it by ear or just fight to find a note if they have a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I had enjoyed the recording so much. They were everything that I wanted them to be. All those chords were there. All that sound was there. All that variation. And at the time, I felt like, oh, I don't want to slow this down. I mean, what would be the point? But there, there, you know, people, there are people that would like that. I myself, you know, I'm, I'm listening to something and geez, I'd like a little help to get what, what's going on there. So, but uh, as far as uh, I think most people read now, I mean, it's just a fact. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody is in their house figuring out how to play a violin when there's somebody in the school that will show you how to play the violin. So I think they're getting notes. And, you know, you could, you could turn your back on them and say, okay, I just want to learn by ear. And that's good. But it's, I don't think it's ever a, a bad idea to be able to, to read notes because, you know, there's just the history of music. You know, I love that I can pick up a book and it's from, you know, let's say that Neil book of, um, you know, that first 
book of Irish tunes. And I can pick that up and I can read it. And guess what? You know, the way music is written has really been the same for a very long time. I can pick up Mozart and I can sing that section there. So um, it's, it's, it depends on how your body is built, too. You know, we, we had that great piano player, uh, Eleanor Neary. You could not question how she plays the tunes. But I really think that Eleanor learned those tunes almost exclusively by reading them. She was always looking for the notes um, more than she was like putting a tape recorder in front of you and wanting you to play it so that she could learn it. She would want the notes. And, uh, you know, whatever gets you there, <laughs> maybe at the end of the day. But I think it's all converging and it's interesting. Okay. Um... Which do you prefer, playing with groups, playing as a duet, or playing solo? Because, of course, you played with uh, Greenfields of uh, America, which is more of a, as much of an educational uh, project than, well, as a musical project. Yeah, well, that, you know, that really was, um, you know, I did two tours way back. 1977 and 78, I want to say. And it really was a showcase of Irish music and dancing. Michael Flatley was dancing on that. Off we went. And it was a real showcase of song and music. So it was not a group as such. It was more like, okay, you sing something now, and then we'll, you know, these three instruments will play that tune together. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, a, it, it was just a slightly coordinated. And after those two years, I think um, maybe it went one more time. And then it kind of had this life as being part of Milwaukee's Irish Fest every year. And then I think Mick Maloney kind of got serious about it and then just went, you know, like I had played the fiddle there first, but then it went, it went forward, you know, and different people played the fiddle. Brendan Mulvihill played the fiddle with them. Eileen Ivers played for a good while with the Greenfields. Um, Athena Turgis is doing it now. Um, and I think they've gotten a, a good bit coordinated. Uh, I remember being at Milwaukee one year and we were doing that. Um, and, uh, and then Daydan got on the stage and it was around the time they were doing the Star Spangled Molly. And we just went, hmm, <laughs> maybe we should work at what the idea of a group really is. Uh, we were stunned. Yeah, we're just like, okay, okay. We're just kind of showcasing here, but this is an amazing thing. So I've never really gotten to be in that big group. I might have been in, in um, Cherish the Ladies at the very start. I was uh, went to New York. We took the picture to go on the tour. And, uh, and, you know, I was expecting my son, Pat, and I just went, what am I doing? I can't, I can't, or maybe I already had him and he was little. I was like... I can't be on the road. What What am I thinking? Uh, I remember uh, Eileen Golden, who's great. Uh, she's up north there somewhere too. She lives in Ireland now. And uh, she said, come on, have a gin and tonic. And I think I hadn't had a drink since, since I had been pregnant. And I, I took one sip of the gin and tonic and I went, right guys, I can't go. <laughs> and they're like, wait a minute, we just flew you in. So off they went. Every once in a while I joined cherish when you know somebody's missing or somebody's not able to do a gig and uh i'm still friends with Joni always and uh, she'll say come on doll come on doll 
and I'll join them. And that's me sitting in a group. So it's not, it's not a lot of experience. I mean, I have no input. I'm doing their gig. And uh, so go back to trios and duos. Trion is a great experience. That's uh, Billy McComiskey and Dahi Spurl. And uh, I love the music that we played. We did a couple of albums and I, I loved it. And I still will play with them. We, we haven't made any albums, but, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see each other. I'll ask Dahi to come on and we'll do a gig together, just the fiddle and the guitar. Or Billy and I will be at a festival together and we'll hop up on stage together. Um, but, you know, you can't get much better than those two. And then, you know, like I said, I love chords and that's the accordion player in me. And it's actually the fiddle player in me too. I think if anybody were to, to take a stab at what am I doing, they'll notice that I'm constantly pointing out what the chord of the tune is because, so I just use those double stops a lot. They make me happy. And I feel like I, as a, in a solo situation, that they're not going to enjoy this tune unless they realize that it's actually going here, you know? So I've got to be able to be, to point it out. And so ultimately then when you're sitting in with just a guitar and you're able to, or a piano, and you're able to chat about what I'm hearing and, and, and what it, it, where it's going. Yeah, do duet okay. is the best. <laughs> the duet with me on the fiddle. And the guitar. <laughs> okay, this was, of course, Francis to John Doyle and uh, Double Play, uh, an album full of, you know, real beauty and absolute uh, vitality. Um, for you to choose a collaborator, you must share the same, I presume, musical philosophy. You must like each other as well and be at the same level of performance. And uh, was it like that? Well, obviously, it was like that for you and John. Oh yeah, well he's a he's a, such a, a strong player, um, you know. So when it when you do want to have those kind of dashing, oops, I'm so sorry. You're on the smallest table ever. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm fine. I have a little tray table and I have a box on top of it, and then I have the computer. I'm not coordinated here. Otherwise, you'd be looking at a blank wall. Uh, so I'm taking you over by the piano area. So sorry for the unsteadiness. Um, yeah, John has all that dash. And I think uh, once we sat down to do a few tracks for um, Lost in the Loop, that album, um, you know, he's really supportive of that style. And, uh, and also, you know, he's just a beautiful s slow player, you know. Um, where did I hear John? That's probably a couple of years ago, but Mary Chapin Carpenter was coming through town and Lunasa was also on that bill and uh, John was playing with her and uh, you know she sang a verse of a song another verse of a song of course and then John had like some little electric little green electric guitar and went to play a break there and you know he gets done with that little break and I'm not you know the whole audience just goes because it was gorgeous. And he, you know, so he has both sides to him there. Maybe, maybe we both kind of have a, a lot of, uh, a lot of time for the slower pieces. I love writing them and I love playing them. And uh, I think uh, 
maybe a lot of that Scottish feel to those slow pieces. I mean, my early times, something slow was either a waltz or an air. And I think around the time that, uh, and this is late in the game, but around the time that um, there was the album uh, called uh, Relativity. So this was Johnny and Phil and uh, Trina and Michal. Um, and there were pl slow pieces on there, but both by Johnny and Phil. And so I, I realized that, whoa, so this Scottish element here means that you can have a slow tune that actually has a rhythm. It's not an air with stops and starts, and uh, it's not that thing. And I loved that album so much and loved every tune on it. And sometime after that, I started writing tunes that were slower pieces. And uh, yeah, so like the Island of Woods and the air tune and, you know, they're slower. And I could be, now I could be in that space. And I didn't know that space existed. Like I say, I probably was just, it's either going to be maybe uh, a set piece for a dancer, you know, all those planksties. It was either going to be that or an air with no timing or, or a waltz. But now I had this new little piece and uh, a lot to like about that. Okay. So what does the future hold for Liz Carroll? I know the whole world is in a terrible state at the minute with coronavirus. So how is, what are your plans as far as people can make plans nowadays? What are your plans for the future? I haven't got a clue. <laughs> End of discussion, I'm leaving. <laughs> you know, it's been really, really sad over here. Um, a lot of people um, sick. A um, few people I know have died. Uh, there, uh, there's a second cousin of mine who's in the hospital right now. She's been on a ventilator for a month. It's very hard to be, you know... Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, for me, the music is very, it's very happy. I guess maybe I've just always had a, a, a happy bent to it. I did make up a couple of slow tunes early, uh, maybe in March, just to get it out of my system. Um, and then feel like, okay, you can sit down and still write a tune here and there. Otherwise, I've been having trouble with a wrist, Robert, so I've been <clears throat> trying to get it sorted out. A little bit of arthritis in here, had a little cyst over here. Uh, I'm often in a, uh, I'm often in a, a little um, uh, yeah. a brace and uh, trying not to use it. I'm getting out of all kinds of chores. I don't have to pull weeds. I don't have to do the dishes vacuuming well right-handed I could do it so I'm concentrating uh, if, if you want to ask just about the music I'm listening a lot and um, trying to remain positive we we all saw every gig go very jealous though that I, I mean uh, maybe uh, I haven't done any zoom or any you know playing since uh, the early June because because of the risk so I'm I'm out there and I'm not able to really join my friends or suggest joining them or them joining me 
to put something out or just to throw out something in the world. So I'm going around and watching everybody else and just uh, floored at some of the young players who I wouldn't know and who have embraced this. And, uh, and you know, it makes me happy. So I, I'm just like, okay, we can, we can have both sides here. This is all really sad. And yet we're finding, we're finding music is, is still making us, us, us happy. And I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm writing some tunes. I'm writing them on my little computer and hearing the computer play it back. Then I send it to a friend and say, what do you think? And uh, I have a couple of people that are flinging them back at me playing their instrument. And, uh, but who knows? Yeah, I'm kind of down for everybody that canceled festivals, canceled weeks of teaching, canceled my world, my line of work as such. <laughs> it's never work, but they have all said that they're going to just keep those lineups and do it again next year. So I kind of think this year for me has been, yeah, just stop, just yeah. stop, and, uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are finding it once they're over the shock that they're getting used to it and they're finding solace in music mm -hmm. and performance. And Tony McMahon always says that there's a restorative and a curative power to music, whether it's Sibelius or whether it's Liz Carroll or whether it's the Beatles or whatever, but there's this... Yes, there's this ability to cure in music, which is why people are getting more into music now that uh, they're in lockdown or because they're depressed about the world uh, around them. They can find this solace in music of all kinds. Absolutely, yes, and you know nothing better than than you playing yourself. It's it's great mm -hmm. to look around, but just to be involved in any way. I mean, that lovely, as I was saying about just the wrist and just not really playing the fiddle, uh, you know, finding myself uh, realizing that I haven't done enough with actually singing the tunes in my head because, wow, there's loads of variations and stuff that you're just singing along. And I, I'm like, I've never really explored uh, that idea that it can all just be in your head and you can even just lilt it out, good or bad, in your car. <laughs> uh, this is the final and hardest question, uh, possibly. Uh, the world is being destroyed and we are sending a time capsule off to a distant planet and we need uh, a piece of music from Liz Carroll. One piece of music from Liz Carroll. What would you choose? That's a terrible <laughs> question. That's a terrible question. Okay, I'll just say the first thing that came to my mind. The first thing that came to my mind was a day and an age. It's a why? it's a slow piece. Oh, why? <laughs> You're asking too much. Um, why? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, I think the notes of it, in my in my judgment, it kind of ended up being pretty perfect. I um, I felt like I got just the right feeling for it in playing it on a double play. I think it's on double play, um, and it might not be. It might be on end play. Um, 
there's beautiful chords that John thought of going along. Um, you know, it's funny in the in the uh, in the notes of that tune, both in on the album that it's on, whatever one it is, and um, and in the book of tunes, I kind of describe it as being a tune for the for the singers um, who you know brought Ireland to the immigrants, you know, so it's for that person that's, that's singing. Um, but there was another side of that. So that was, that was, there's another side. And sometimes you just go, nah, this is a little bit ostentatious to kind of go there, but it really kind of, that tune was pretty much my response to 9-11. And uh, I've maybe said that out loud once. So what am I doing now? But you know, I don't know what that is, is that and sometimes you just feel like it's just too ostentatious to, to say that there's that amount of meaning behind something. I don't know. Is that an Irish thing? It's you, you don't want how do you, how do you say that in, from concert to concert to concert, you know, and I kind of settled on. But it also is it also is this. But it, it was pretty much my response. And so maybe that's why it's all so. Um, I have uh, sentimental feelings about that tune. Okay. Well, uh, these people don't get a jolly tune, in other words. I mean, I don't, I don't like doing these podcasts because at the end, my head is always full of uh, so many more questions. Uh, it's been an absolute delight speaking to Liz. And uh, hopefully, it's really bad now. You see, I tried to engage you a couple of times in your opinions, and you brought it right back to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to finish uh, the podcast with uh, a tune uh, at the end, and it's by Liz Carroll. And uh, many, many, many thanks, Liz. I'll speak to you again. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you very much. Bye bye.
Well, that's all for today, folks. So until the next time, from me, Robert McMillan, and the Erchudan Hjoil podcast from Madrid, Slanagas Banacht. <laughs>